0: All right, well, good morning, everyone. Today is uh, the third and the final week in our What If series, this three-week vision series. I kicked it off talking about our five-year vision. You have copies of it in your worship folder. There's an insert. Hannibal talked about this critical aspect of our uh, commitment to multi-ethnicity going forward. And now today... I want to kind of tie up some loose ends. Now this vision expresses where we believe that God, by the power of His Holy Spirit, might just take us as a church over the next five years to reach more and more people for Jesus Christ. Everything we're talking about these three weeks, everything um, in in our vision builds on this premise that God is calling us to reach more and more people in a growingly chaotic and uncertain world that more of them might know the forgiveness and the joy of salvation through the wonder of Jesus' finished work. Two weeks ago, I spent some time walking through this five-year vision the five points that make up this five-year vision, what we call our, our five targets. They're expressed in terms of numbers and percentages because we want them to be specific and measurable. We want there to be accountability. I want you to hold me and others accountable to reaching these targets. But I also said two weeks ago that these numbers and percents reflect people, your neighbors, your co-workers, your friends, your extended family, the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people around us who don't know Jesus. Now let me just quickly walk through these five target points again. We talk about 8,000 people. That's roughly a double of where we are today in current total worship attendance. Four locations means we believe God is calling us to plant two new campuses over the next five years. 30% ethnic diversity, Hannibal laid out the biblical basis for that, as I will be laying out another biblical basis this morning, but he talked about ethnic diversity, when we say this, we don't mean the aggregate of our Latinos and our non-Latinos, but we're talking about in our English-speaking services that they will be represented, they will be Colorful. We will be colorful, not colorblind. And it will be made up of 30% diversity. 80% of our people in life groups, 50% of our adults are young singles and young families. We talked about some of the congregational survey two weeks ago and how we must recommit to targeting young singles and young families. And as a part of that, We are believing God, we believe God is calling us to see our student ministry more than double, and our children's ministry to double over the last next five years. Now 4,000 faith decisions is a lot. Some people have said to me, Rob, your thinking is too small. I love that. But over the last five years, the preceding five years, 4,000 has been 2,600 for us, 1,500 baptisms. And then a half a million hours invested in our communities here and around the world. Now, this does not include our, how many missionaries, Kyle? 90 plus? 93 missionary units, families? But it's it's a number representing those of us that are a part of our campuses of Wheaton Bible Church investing here and our, our global trips and our global ministries locally and Around the world, pretty exciting stuff again, you have this as an insert. I would ask you to be praying, take this, put it in your Bible, put it someplace because we are not going to move ahead unless god 's people are praying that these vision points would be realized now here 's what I want to do this morning. I want to address three questions I want to address: Why are we doing this? How are we going to get there, and then what 's our Sunday morning lineup going to look like as we make some changes in how we 're going to do? Sunday morning. So let me begin with why are we doing this? Hannibal talked about a big reason last Sunday. I talked about some uh, two weeks ago, but I want to come at it a little differently this morning. And I want to begin with uh, one of my favorite activities, a water skiing story. Actually, a couple stories leading to one. I grew up, I had the privilege of growing up on water and lakes, and I spent my summers all summer water skiing. And over time, I became a water ski jumper. I loved flying off the ramp at a fast rate of speed. But, but I, and I began to ski jump competitively. But I want you to know I was never really very good at it because I had this tendency, you have to cut when you get to the jump in order to get speed, and then you're supposed to pause, but I I had this tendency to keep cutting, and that's a really bad thing because when you fly through the air in order to land upright on the water, um, you want your skis to be below you, and I had this thing where my skis would be beside me, and I would sail through the air sideways, and then sometimes, and this was really bad, My skis would be on top of me and I'd fly through the air upside down. And when you're hitting the water and you're flying upside down from the air, it is not a pleasant experience. It's part of the reason I've had two back surgeries, I'm deeply convinced. Now, you can argue that I'm stupid and I will accept that. Uh, But it's something I I just love to do. Now, this leads to a story, and I want to say that I've spent my life around boats, around water, and um, therefore I have no excuse for what I'm about to tell you. And it goes back 12, 15 years ago. We were vacationing with another family from Wheaton Bible Church in Arkansas. It was a water ski vacation because the water was really warm and it was calm. And our ski boats had a bar, what we call a boom, coming out the side that goes, if the boat is like this, it goes like this. It's perpendicular. And it served a number of functions. But one of the functions it served is it enabled little children to grab onto that bar and to learn to water ski at an early age. And so one day, this uh, crazy day, I was driving the boat, Uh, a family friend, a little guy named Luke was holding on uh, to the boom and I was driving. Did I say I was driving? Yeah, that's the problem. Because I got so engrossed in watching Luke that I no longer paid any attention to where I was driving. Now that I say we're going three or four miles an hour, we're going really slow. It's a little bitty guy. We're not going very fast, but I totally stopped paying attention to where I was going. I was laughing and enjoying the pure delight of this four-year-old, and um, I crashed into shore. I drove the boat right into shore. Now, so I'm stupid because I was a ski jumper. I'm stupid because I don't know how to drive a boat. And I know we don't like to use the word stupid, but I just gotta be honest. Um, Fortunately, it was a beach. And fortunately, we were going slow, so nothing got hurt, nobody got injured. But boy, did I feel real bad, and I scared, really scared the young guy. He figured out we weren't supposed to be driving into shore. (laughs) Our five vision targets that I've just walked through will force us as a church to pay attention to where we're going. I believe God has given us to them to keep us from crashing from getting diverted, from losing perspective. Only what's at stake isn't summer fun, and I'm all for summer fun. What's at stake is a million plus people around us who do not know Jesus Christ, have never experienced the joy of forgiveness, the healing of of the gospel, and are headed toward eternal separation from God, the very God that gives them breath. I believe We can't do anything else but start, or set, I should say, targets. I mean, the the issue was too great. We have to have some accountability as a church. So we just don't keep on keeping on. I, I believe we have to change. We have to take risks for the kingdom of God. And today I kind of want to lay out a a platform for that. I want to talk to you uh, about that. And so that's the why. The why is we have to stay focused. We have to stay on target. We don't want to crash as a church. I talked about some of those issues uh, two weeks ago. So what I want to do now is talk about the how, how I believe God's gonna get there and I want to look at a biblical passage but I want to point out something in this familiar passage that you may have never seen before. I want you to see how Jesus Christ himself talks, talks about risk, taking risks for the kingdom of God. So grab your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 25 and verse 14. We'll have the words on the screen, their Bibles in The racks in front of you. Matthew is the very first of the Gospels. And we are going to look at something that Jesus does here that is fascinating. Let's begin reading in verse 14. Jesus is speaking and he says, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man, and this verse 18 is important, but the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now what is a parable? A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So here, Jesus isn't merely talking about a man going on a journey. He's talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. We know this because if you go back to the first verse of chapter 25, uh, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven will be like. And the first verse we read that begins the parable of the talents or the parable, uh, as you see in some of your Bibles, entitled the bag of gold Uh, Jesus says again, it will be like the antecedent of it, the antecedent of it is the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. Now here's what that means. And this parable of talents is one of the most familiar of Jesus' parables. But what it means is the man going on the journey is God. God. a picture, a metaphor of God. And it means that God is the owner and you and I are the servants. Jonathan Edwards once said, I've shown this before, I just love this quote, it's meant a lot to me, you have not made yourself and you have not been made for yourself. We would deliver ourselves from all sorts of evil if we understood this. I have not made myself and I am not about myself. Not been made for myself. That is Jesus' point out of the blocks in this parable. We are the servants, our possessions, our time, our life circumstances, our our talents, our abilities, our, our bags of gold come from God. He gives them to us. Now, a bag of gold, interestingly, and I'll say this parenthetically, was worth a lot of money. You'll see in some of your Bibles that it was worth 20 years of income. That means a bag of gold today, uh, a million, two million dollars, a little more, a little, uh, a little less, uh, depending on your income. But a bag of gold was generally speaking around a million or so dollars, or is around a million or so dollars. Now, what is Jesus saying Well, just as a sidebar, parenthetically, Jesus is saying God is a generous God. He has blessed you abundantly. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life abundantly. That all your life circumstances, all the, uh, um, your keen intellect, your musical athletic ability, the different talents you have, uh, the different circumstances you find yourself in, uh, all of those are from God, and God is a generous God, and he has blessed you with health, with eyesight, with the ability to breathe, and on and on, because God is a generous God. This bag of gold refers to you, everything you are, And the bags of gold are good, but the point is they are gods. You are gods. You have not made yourself. You have not been made for yourself. Now let's continue in verse 19 as it gets interesting. After a long time, the master, that is God, of those servants, that's you and me, returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five. See, I've gained five more. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, I don't know about you, but at the end of my life, I want God to be able to say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. May that be true of all of us. And um, Jesus continues, You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. He has given you everything you have that you might leverage it for the kingdom of God, that you might find ultimate happiness, peace, and joy. You share it. So, what we just read is the man with five turned it into ten. It was a double, the two doubled to four. But if you go back to verse 18, the one one bagger guy, the man who had one bag of gold did nothing but hide it and it wasn't leveraged. Now I want to skip verses 24 and 25 for a moment. We'll come back to them. But let's see what Jesus says to this one man. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers and you thought banking was a recent invention so that when I returned, I would not have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him. Give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And now verse 30, and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now we come to risk, and we typically don't see risk, what Jesus has to say about risk in this parable. Now what is risk? Well if you Google it, uh, you will find that risk is exposure to the uncertain possibility of loss or injury. Risk is exposure, but it's exposure to something that is uncertain. Now taking risks is something we do each and every day of our lives. We take what, if you want to categorize them, small risks. Sometimes we take medium-sized risks, and uh, occasionally we will take big risks, l- large risk. Uh, I mean, uh, you take a risk every time you drive a car. You take a bigger risk when you're on the interstate. You're driving into the city. You, you take a risk when you call someone for a date. You take a risk uh, when you give your heart to another person. You take a risk when you parent, when you adopt children when you engage in foster care. You take a risk when you do something insane like ski jump and all the different things uh, we do. You take a risk when you stand up for Jesus Christ in the marketplace in your neighborhood, in your school. Risk is taking a plunge into something that's uncertain. Sometimes it works out, uh, sometimes it doesn't. And by the way, because of the uncertainty inherent in human risk-taking, God never takes a risk. Jesus did not take a risk when he came to earth because there is no uncertainty with the triune God. We have, as I've said, small brains. I know I do. So therefore, there's a lot of uncertainty about what tomorrow will bring and what's ahead. And so we step into that by taking risks. Now the question is, how do we see risk here? And I want to contend you see it in two ways. First of all, you see it when Jesus commends the two servants, the five-bagger and the two-bagger. He commends them for taking risk with the bags of gold he gave them. And what does he do? He says to them, well done. He calls them good and faithful servants. Now that's remarkable, and I want you to follow me here in what I say. Because in commending the two, Jesus establishes risk taking as a necessary component of true discipleship. You cannot be a disciple, you cannot be a follower of Jesus Christ if you're not taking risks for him. Otherwise, that's faithless living And by risk, what you're doing is you're taking the bag of gold, everything that you are, and you're leveraging it for the kingdom of God And there's a variety of ways, in as many different ways as there are people here this morning. But risk-taking, Jesus establishes as a necessary component of discipleship. But that's just the first way. Uh, There's a second way, actually. It's a bigger way. It's a surprise. It's very sobering to me. And that is, while Jesus commends the two, he condemns the one. The man who hid his bag of gold, who did nothing with it. And he calls him, look at the beginning of verse 26, wicked and lazy. What? Wicked? He didn't steal anything. He didn't commit immorality. He didn't squander the money. He didn't even spend any of it on himself. Yet Jesus calls him wicked. Why? Because in the kingdom of God, wickedness isn't merely the bad things we do. It's the good things we don't do. That's the context here. Now you may need to digest that slowly to process that, but I want you to understand what our Lord Jesus is saying in no uncertain terms is failure to risk your time, your talents, your treasures, your life, your bag of gold for the kingdom of God is every bit of sin as any act of immorality. Whoa. How can that be? Because it's an act of unbelief. The spirit is laying on your heart. Hey, you you know, talk to this person, develop a relationship, walk across the street, walk across the hall, and, and you just squelch it, you squelch it. It's an act of unbelief. In the old testament. Israel is on the threshold of the promised land. And Moses sends 12 men into the promised land to spy it out, to see what the land is like, to prepare a military strategy so they, go in and can, so they can go in and take the land. Uh, they go into the land and 10 of the 12 men come back, 10 of these 12 spies come back and say, forget what God has said. There is no way we can do this. Uh, The people are giants. They're powerful. The cities are protected. We can't take that risk. And God, in Numbers 13 and verse 32, says the 10 brought back a bad report. And the word bad there means wicked, an evil report. You see, failure to take risks for God is evil. It's sinful. And so Jesus in this parable says, you wicked and lazy servant, He had the money, but he didn't leverage it. He didn't step out in faith. Over and over in the Bible, I mean, over and over in the Bible, risk-taking is seen as something positive, stepping into the uncertain. We don't know if it's gonna work. We don't know if we're gonna get rejected. We don't know how it's gonna go. This may be a big cost. We, We don't know. It's seen as something positive, because it's the other side of the coin of faith. And I want to plead with you today before the Lord to see kingdom risks as fundamentally positive, Uh, something fundamentally good. It's a sign of faith. I mean, it's Abraham taking his son Isaac to be sacrificed. Can you imagine how Abraham was feeling? But he took the risk. It's Pharaoh certainly wrestling with fear, and it's fear that keeps us from taking risks. Uh, I mean, it's Moses going to Pharaoh saying, let my people go. It's David taking on Goliath. It's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego seeing the fiery furnace, maybe even feeling the heat standing before the great king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, and saying, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, you're a cool dude. We, we like you. And you may have to throw us in the fiery furnace because we want you to know there's no way we're going to worship you. There is no way we're going to worship God, uh, your God's risk. It's Queen Esther famously saying in order to rescue the Jews from annihilation in the the land of Persia, saying before she went into the king who happened to be her husband, but she was a Jew and he was not, pleading, uh, uh, getting ready to plead the case for the Jews. Before she goes in, what does Esther say? We all know, if I perish, I perish. Risk. It was the Apostle Paul's entire life going into city after city, not knowing what was going to happen. Would he be beaten? Would he be jailed? Would he be killed? Look at what John Piper says about the risk in Paul's life. Paul never knew where the next blow would come from. Every day he risked his life for the cause of God. The roads weren't safe, the rivers weren't safe, his own people, the Jews weren't safe, the Gentiles weren't safe, the cities weren't safe, the wilderness wasn't safe, the sea wasn't safe, even the so-called Christian brothers and sisters weren't safe. Safety was a mirage. It didn't exist for the Apostle Paul. He had two choices, waste his life or live with risk. And he answered this choice clearly, but I do not account my life, consider my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish the course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus. What's that ministry? To reach more and more people, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He never knew what the day would hold, but the Calvary road beckoned and he risked his life every day and this risk was right. My point is from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible the Christian life is a call to risk. Faith takes risks like flowers sprout upward like a quarterback throws a pass and you either take risks or you waste your life. I don't want you to waste your life. You leverage your bag of gold or you hide it. And you fall prey to this dualism that our, in our culture today, that our faith has to be private. And that is so wrong, no. Every place you go, your faith goes with you. So we always live our spiritual lives out loud, not obnoxiously, but publicly. Now let me just qualify this by saying risk doesn't mean, I'm not talking about you become reckless and careless. I mean, Paul would often avoid confrontation by sneaking out of cities at night. But I do want to say to you, and I want to say this in love, but it's going to, I'm going to say it I, um, strongly, our current addiction to safety, because we live in an affluent culture, our current addiction to comfort, I mean evangelical comfort, and, and, And our our, our current addiction to approval, wanting everybody to like us, is not a biblical notion. It's overrated according to God's word. It's certainly not how the apostle Paul lived. But risk? Risk, I mean a life of you risking for Jesus Christ day in and day out. That is a life that is rewarded. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now here's my point. Why I'm talking about this subject when we're talking about our vision. We will, I mean all of us together as a church, we will realize our vision when in dependence upon God each and every one of us increase our risk tolerance for Jesus. Where we see the, the needle on our risk meter move from low to medium to high and back and forth, depending on our circumstances, depending upon on our day. Now, what does that look like? Uh, that means uh, that you live a life of connecting with other people that don't know Jesus Christ. And you pray for them, you're intentional about that. You care for them and you share with them. It means you step into the lives of the vulnerable. It means you stand for justice. It means you glorify God by your gospel deeds and your gospel words. It means when you find somebody uh, uh, who crosses your path that's hurting, uh, a co-worker, a neighbor, you take them out to breakfast, lunch, or, or, or dinner. And you tell them the story of your faith journey and the difficulty you've been through and how you found resolution uh, in Jesus Christ. And you pray for them and you care for them and you carry them. It means we understand uh, that this is not just summer fun going on around us. But there are millions of people in Chicago alone that are on their way to hell. And if we don't stand up, if we don't give ourselves to a life of risk, how are we going to reach more and more people? Now, I want to say this is on me. But the reason I can sleep at night is because this is on you as well. And this is a together thing. Two weeks ago, when I rolled out our, our, our five targets and our five vision... Uh, in in our five-year vision, I should say, a a life group met. I don't know if it was later that day or or, or when. And they said, hey, we have to ramp it up here in our life group. So they identified people in their lives that don't know Jesus Christ. They talk about strategies as a life group what they can do individually. They name names. They committed to pray for each other, to hold each other accountable, and they said, "We're going to get serious about reaching more and more people for Jesus Christ." And I want you to know there wasn't a single every single person in that life group was in their 60s or 70s. What about your life group? What about your family? Your your, your circle of friends. How can you take risks? Where can you take risks? Let me say one more thing in this parable. Let me address this question. What was the difference between the two and the one? So now we come to verses 24 and 25. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said... I knew that you are a hard man. God, you are hard. Harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. It's fear that keeps us from taking kingdom risk. I was afraid. And I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. You see, the one, unlike the two, neither knew God nor trusted God and lived a life of fear. Now, what's the point? The point Jesus is making is kingdom risk is rooted, it's born in confidence in the goodness, the faithfulness, the love and the mercy of God. And to the extent you know God, I mean, not just in your head, you don't just have head knowledge, but you know God in your heart. You have experienced the wonder of saving grace and the wonder of the beauty of Jesus Christ in your life. To the extent that that is real in the depths of your being, you will take risks because you know who God is and you're gonna step out even even though you're fearful. Let me go back to Abraham. You know what this looks like? It's Abraham telling his son, Isaac, God will provide. It's you believing God will provide. It's Caleb and Joshua, the the two men of the 12 that were sent out, standing against and in defiance of the majority of the spies, and saying, God has called us to this, This is the promised land he is giving us. And then they have this um, three word statement that I think expresses the concept of risk so well. We should go. We should go. Risk is saying to yourself, I will go. Let's roll. Let's go. And so here we have this parable of the talents. It isn't just about our talents and abilities, it's about the risk we're taking in order to, to leverage them. Now, this is born in the goodness and the grace, your understanding holistically of the goodness and grace of God in your life. And nowhere, nowhere is this more vividly demonstrated in the cross of Jesus Christ, where Jesus died for our sins. And when we find that forgiveness, we find that eternal life, we find this adoption and union with Jesus. And Jesus isn't useful, but Jesus is precious. And that grips our hearts. Then we will find, I promise you, you will find the power to take risks. And then Wheaton Bible Church, as we take risks together, will reach our targets. So how we get to our vision, Jesus answers in the parable of the talents. Now let me go on, let me talk about Sunday morning, and what I want you to understand is there are a couple major changes coming. We're going to be changing the times of our worship services, and we're going to be changing the location of our traditional service. So here's where we are headed we will going forward have all our contemporary services in here. Uh, The Spanish-speaking service is just as contemporary as our contemporary service. And what we are doing, one of the main reasons we are making this change is we want to produce dedicated spaces where we can do a better job of contemporary and traditional. So for example, right now, Uh, We don't have the luxury of setting up the contemporary service during the week. The scenic, the sound, the lighting, working through tech problems, all that. We don't have that luxury. We have 15 to 20 minutes after the traditional service is over to set up. And then when I go along like I did this morning, it creates chaos. That's a public apology. (laughs) To the last service. So what we're going to do is we are going to have two contemporary services, one Spanish speaking service here, we're moving the traditional to the East Worship Center uh, across the hall and we're changing the times Uh, better spaces, we're able to do things better and we're having better hours so the 8.15 hour goes away and the 11.15 hour goes away because we want everyone out of here by noon this is especially important for young families so it'll be 9 o'clock and 10.30 And we're really excited about this. By the way, there's a national trend around the country, very interesting to me, that services that begin at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning or after are declining in attendance. That's been true in our 1115 service for a couple of years now. And it's going on around the country. People want to be out by noon. Down the road, um, we can address a weekend night service, but for now, we're focusing on these um, the traditional service is um, currently um, exceeds the seating capacity in the East worship space. And that's why we're going to true two services. Traditional service simultaneous with our contemporary services. There's a couple of questions around our traditional service. Will it fit? And the answer is yes. We're going to two. Here's some CAD drawings of uh, the artist's rendition. Notice the chairs. The pews are going to be gone. We're putting in chairs. We're going to bring out the platform. One of the questions is, um, can the choir and the orchestra fit on the platform? Now this is the platform. The black is the platform I'm standing on. The yellow tape is a platform size in the East worship space. Uh, Just this week, or last week, we've had architects here. We have to build this out a couple of feet. You can see that here in the... The tape will be, we're going to apply this week for permits to uh, begin construction. I'd love it if you pray. We want to get this underway as as soon as we can. So the answer is yes. The choir, a large choir, large orchestra will be able to fit. We had um, a traditional worship pastor candidating in the traditional service this morning. Um, Ryan, are you here in this service? No, I think he's out talking to some people. So my point is, it will work. Now there's another question, is what are we gonna do in the East worship space? Will it be live preaching or video? And the answer is it's gonna be live, but we will supplement with video. So Missions Fest in October will be video. I I desire that once a month we'll run video, live streaming from here, Into that space. But it's not going to be the video screens that are in there currently. We're going to create, we're going to uh, purchase a a, a drop down high def screen where it will look like uh, the pastor is right there as he works through a Sunday morning message. Now, what about adult classes? We have a number of people in adult classes. Well, Pastor Phil, Phil Shields, oversees the adult classes. He knew I was going to talk about this. talk about this issue this morning, so he went to Mexico. <laughs> Actually, we're still in the process, Phil's in the process of meeting with the AC leaders and figuring out where our adult classes are going to be, and that's all I can really tell you. We're in process. Now, when are we going to do this? We are going to, uh, oh, no, I got to back up. Another reason we're doing it, so there's three reasons, uh, to create better dedicated spaces, to create better times and to create a better children's Sunday school hours. This is our current spread of children's attendance on this campus. Oh, did I lose that? Okay, this one. (laughs) Now, why is that so funny? So do you see a problem? The problem is that our children's ministry is concentrated in the middle hour. Now, it's not full, but it has the appearance often of being full, especially in the hallway. So if you're visiting or you're new, uh, that, that can be a problem. But let me talk about Stephanie. Stephanie is in second grade. And because we only have 60 and 45 If um, Stephanie comes to one of the 8.15 or 11.15 children's Sunday school hours, Stephanie will be in a larger group. She's in second grade, but there won't be a second grade class. Therefore, the likelihood of Stephanie meeting another female second grader or a couple female second graders and having fun uh, with them, getting excited about knowing them, that, uh, the likelihood of that is, is very small. And therefore, the likelihood of Stephanie having a good experience in children's Sunday school and wanting to come back is smaller. We've got to change this. So by um, going to two primary hours, we will be able to spread our children's Sunday morning attendance More evenly and create better experiences that we might reach more and more people for Jesus Christ. The growing churches around the country have two things going for them they have created an invitational culture on Sunday morning, and the vast majority of their adults are in life groups. So, let me go ahead. We're going to roll this out. We're going to implement this in two and a half months on August 19th. That helps us recruit for children's Sunday school, get other things in place, change our mind about a few things or whatever God is calling us to do. Now, here's how I want to conclude. I want to say this. I am in no way suggesting that this is the final word, that we got it all figured out or we think this is near perfect and it's going to be glory going forward. Uh, That's totally unrealistic and it's arrogant. But I do want to ask you to say that this is God's church, and despite its imperfections, it's my church. And I want you to pray. I want you to serve. I want you to face outward and live a sent lifestyle that together we might see more and more people come to Jesus Christ. And the risks begin right now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all you have given us, for your crazy grace, and we ask that this might be realized among us. Would you be so kind, so merciful, so good? In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, you guys have a great day. I've gone long. I sort of apologize for that. (laughs) Blessings.